The Athletics Mailroom Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. As you're probably aware, a lot of tickets either go unsold completely or for way over face value. GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And there are deals across all major leagues and teams, so GameTime has you covered beyond just the NFL. And the app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate, so getting the best prices could not be easier. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Live from Studio Nowhere, this is the Athletics right, Mailroom Podcast. Okay. Now here's your host, Amy Parlapiano. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Mailroom. I'm Amy Parlapiano. This is the Athletics NFL Podcast, where we ask our very own subscribers questions to a different guest each week. This week, we are very excited to have former NFL GM, who's been a front office exec since the mid-80s. He's currently the Athletics NFL Insider. He's also the host of his own podcast, The GM Shuffle, and the author of Gridiron Genius. It's Michael Lombardi. Hi, Michael. How are you? I am great, Amy. It's so good to talk to you. I only email you, so it's always good to have you on the other end of the line. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. Um, all right, so we will jump right into this. I usually try to uh, like go through the questions, narrow them down, but there were uh, so many for you and a lot of good ones, so we'll try to get through uh, quite a few here. So let's jump right in. So we're going to start with some, uh, some current events uh, in the NFL. So uh, it was announced today or early this morning that uh, the NFL is arranging a workout for Colin Kaepernick on Saturday morning in Atlanta. And uh, Mike C. wants to know, dear Michael, is there any chance Colin Kaepernick gets signed from the Saturday workout? I think it's pretty much more of a PR thing than it is anything. I mean, yeah. we can go back and watch Colin Kaepernick play when Chip Kelly was the coach. He, I watched in his last game against the Rams in the Coliseum. Uh, we could watch him play when he was with Greg Roman. I mean, if, if the Baltimore offense with Greg Roman hasn't stimulated interest in Colin Kaepernick, then I don't know this workout's going to. I think there's always a copycat mentality in the NFL that, you know, if Baltimore's doing it, we should do it. If the Patriots are doing it, maybe we should do it. I just think Colin Kaepernick, when you examine as a player, when you examine his career and where he was at the end, where he was accuracy-wise, his inability to want to run with the ball became problematic because they no longer had to defend his feet along with his arm. Uh, And then add in the social issues that come with it. I think teams decided it was a little bit probably more risk than worth reward. I don't think the workout's going to change that narrative. Right. So, the, so why, if it's a PR stunt, which it does seem to kind of be, at least it looks like a PR move for the NFL, but why would they do it in week 11? I don't know what the agreement was. Remember, Kaepernick settled an agreement with the league about the collusion. He and Eric Reed about, you know, the, that maybe this was part of that deal. That's the only thing I could think of that will have a workout for you. Mm-hmm. But I think at this time of the year, week 11, I mean, look, there's the Detroit Lions with Jeff Driscoll. He wasn't even in their camp. They signed him after the Bengals cut him. I mean, you know, yeah, in Baltimore, and I wrote about this in Gridiron Genius, if in Baltimore actually started to do it last week, they put RG3 in the backfield. I think an offense that could be really dynamic is if you had two quarterbacks in the backfield that could actually run the single wing and run the ball. 
like that. And that's really what Lamar Jackson's running is, the, is a version of a single wing. And then right. they put RG3 in there with them. And all of a sudden, who's going to throw the ball? You know, because in fairness to Bill Poley and Lamar Jackson probably would have been a good receiver. He just happens to be a better quarterback. So, right. you know, could you imagine what that could lead to offensively? Uh, right. And Kaepernick g- generated no interest. RG3 did. I just don't see this going anywhere. Yeah, it seems unlikely at this point, but I guess we'll see after Saturday. Um, All right. So, Michael, a topic that you write a lot about is the Chicago Bears, and you have quite a few questions on this. So let's get into this. Chase Z says, Dear Michael, is Matt Nagy a good coach? I find it hard to evaluate because I'm not sure how Trubisky's deficiencies prohibit him. I also don't know how much help schematically Nagy is providing him. I think this, I'm not sure about Matt Nagy either. I think Matt Nagy is trying to run an offense that he learned in Kansas City, and I don't see any originality from it. It's one thing when you have Tyreek Hill, you know, he tried to replace Tyreek Hill with Tariq Cohen. You could see he tried to have parts. Troy Trey Burton is Travis Kelsey, you know, and they're trying to add elements, but they don't have the explosiveness. Normally, they throw the ball down the field. Is that part Trubisky? Or is it part Nagy? And I'm having a hard time understanding where it is. I think he's an offensive coordinator who lends himself to be a head coach. I think the jury's out. I think I would respect him a lot more if he stopped defending Trubisky and started saying to people, look, we got to get more production out of a quarterback instead of trying to cover up for him. Which leads into a question about Trubisky, who you've written a lot about. Obviously, your, your opinion is is known on Trubisky, and I think this year it seems like you're you're right in your evaluation of, of him as a quarterback. And so, Joseph D asks, "Dear Michael, what can the Bears do with Trubisky, and what would you do with respect to the Trubisky situation?" Well, I mean, he's he's under contract for uh, I think two more years. I, I would not pick up his fifth year option. I would go and search for another quarterback desperately. I would I would eliminate him from the conversation as a starting quarterback. But does that mean I would cut him? Probably not. I mean, he's economically a value as a backup quarterback. I would do that, but I would change the narrative of the team. I would try to change the team, fit more into what Chicago is about. I've got to power run the football. I've got to be able to be physical up front. I'm going to deal with weather here in the next six weeks. I've got to be able to win the line of scrimmage. And I would try to build and get a quarterback that I thought could complement. Just hypothetically, if you took Ryan Tannehill and do what he's done for Mm -hmm. the Titans, he would have done for the Bears. Tannehill improved the the Titans offense by 1.1 yards per attempt. He's opened up. They've scored over 20 points in every single game since he's taken over. And the two weeks before that, they scored seven. So quarterbacking makes a difference. And I would look for somebody to help me get out of this rut I'm in and try to replace him immediately. Yeah. And it's weird. It's a good point about Tannehill because I feel like we we hadn't really been thinking much about him earlier in the season. And now he's come through and he's really kind of changed things for the Titans. So we'll see what happens with him uh, next year. But okay. So on the subject of Trubisky, there's a question kind of, or I should say on the subject of disappointing quarterbacks, uh, Zach M says, dear Michael, Taking Trubisky out of the equation here, if we don't make Trubisky an option, which QB still on their rookie contract are you the least optimistic about their trajectory? I would say Josh Allen. Mm. Uh, I mean, Josh Rosen I've dismissed already, right? (laughs) Right. So I don't think Josh Rosen's an NFL quarterback. I've dismissed that. 
the jury's out on Baker Mayfield. He's at 77 completion uh, quarterback rating. I think he's the Browns won last week, so now he's 3-10 and 10 in games where he throws over 35 yards. Uh, I think he needs to be under center more, not in shotgun. I think they need to run the ball more effectively for him. He gets way too many passes batted down. Baker Mayfield's had 57 passes batted down by the defensive opponent in, in eight games or nine games. That's way too many, way too many. Phillip Rivers has under 20. That's way too many. You can't, that's too much potential for interception. But the guy that I really think has been bothering me for the last month is Josh Allen's inability to throw the ball accurately with precision and give the Bills a passing game. Because if the Bills had Josh Allen to take a giant step forward like Lamar Jackson has or like some other players have, their offense could be much improved and their win percentage, even though they're six and three, they won't lose to teams that just stop their run game. I'm a little bit worried that he's more athlete than he is run, than he is quarterback. Right. Do you see the Bills as a playoff team this year? I I I, I do. I do and I don't. I think that they're always going to have problems beating a team that stops their running game. I think they're better off when they play from in front. And when Josh Allen can't run the ball uh, and can't move in the pocket and make plays with his feet, they struggle to score points. So I, I think they're a nine and seven team. Do they win the do they win the uh the the qualifiers? Maybe they do, but I think they're a one and out team in the playoffs if they make it. And on the topic of those quarterbacks, uh here we mentioned quite a few that were drafted last year and Mayfield and Allen. And uh what do you make of the sophomore slump? You mentioned Mayfield already. And what about Sam Darnold? His kind of his season has not gone the way people thought. Obviously, the the mono uh, did not help things early on, but I think people really thought he was going to take some leaps forward, and we have not seen that at all. What do you make of his second year? I think he flashes with really solid ability. The problem is he doesn't protect the football enough. The Jets' offensive line is really bad, and they struggle to give him the kind of protection which forces him to make some really stupid mistakes that he has to own. He's a little bit like Jameis Winston was coming out of college. There's just too many mistakes. There's a lot of flashes of, oh, my gosh, this is really good play. But we can't turn the ball over that much and play quarterback. You just can't do it. You're going to be out of the league. Winston, for whatever reason, might get a contract extension from the Bucks. But every game that you go into and you know he's going to turn the ball over is a potential to lose. So – I think Donald has to do a much better job of protecting the football and they've got to do a much better job of protecting Sam. Yeah. And we saw today that news came out today that the Jets had announced that Adam Gase will be their coach in 2020. What have you seen from him? Do you, do you believe in Adam Gase's ability to be a good NFL coach or are you skeptical because he hasn't really shown that he is a very good head coach at this point? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think that you know, most coaches the second time around improve because they learn from what their mistakes are, especially if they take a step back. I think it's going to be an interesting offseason for what Adam Gase does with his coaching staff, what he does with his team, and how he orchestrates this because he might be better off allowing someone to run the offense as opposed to him because even though he's labeled an offensive guru, part of that labeling came from work coaching Peyton Manning. Right. And we haven't seen much of the guru, much of the rue in the guru <laughs> so far. And he might be better off just becoming a head coach. I, I think it's smart for the Jets to keep him because he is in partnership with Joe Douglas. They are they formed a partnership, and the Jets finally have a true partnership between GM and head coach. They need to let that ride a little bit. Right. It seems we'll do that, so we'll see how that works out next season. So now another coach who uh, who's having a, quite a good year, I would say, and you've written about him before, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Jacob G. asks, 
Dear Michael, do you feel more confident that John Gruden has a plan now? It seems like he is getting the best out of the talent that he has. What are your thoughts on him and Mayock long term? I think he's done a brilliant job of coaching offensive football this year. Mm -hmm. I think he's done. He realizes he needs to control the football, play less defense, stay ahead of the down and distant count, really limit how much Derek Carr has to throw the ball down the field because he knows Carr is going to get rid of the football too quickly. So he's really done a good job of building a game plan around him. And Jacobs has been sensational. And the offensive line, Tom Cable took a lot of heat as a line coach, but the offensive line has done a good job of protecting the quarterback and run blocking. They are truly been the strength of the Raiders defensively. I think the Raiders have a ways to go. I still question Gruden's ability to be a team builder. I still question John's ability to get good players on defense. I don't really like any of the players they sign. I mean, LaMarcus Joyner, they talked about him like he was going to be a great signing. They're really bad on defense. But John has done a great job of managing the team, of playing from in front, forcing teams to really beat him and not losing the game. And I give him a ton of credit for that. And what do you think about the partnership between him and Mayock in terms of how that's going? I know in the past there's been kind of some concern about whether Gruden, you know, he's making all the decisions and how that partnership really looks. Do you think that they've maybe started to kind of figure out how to work together better this year? Well, I think it's really uh, – John's running the show. I think Paul Gunther, the defense yeah. coordinator, has as much influence as anybody on the team with John. Mm-hmm. I think if Gunther wants a player on defense, he's going to get him. I mean, just take Vontez Burfick. I mean, Mike Mayock hated Burfick coming into the draft probably as much as any player on, on any team, and yet he was on the Raiders, and, and they wanted to keep him even after he was disqualified from playing because of all that all the uh, unnecessary roughness penalties and the helmet-to-helmet issue. So I, I think, you know, Mike's job, and Mike has said this, and I'm not speaking for Mike. Mike has said that he works for John, and – John controls the personnel. That's why you see somebody trade for receivers. That's why I think you'll constantly see this receiver core shaken up offensively. I think they're going to have to get better on defense. Now, whether they can pick really good defensive players, I know Farrell had two and a half sacks last week. But look, I think I could have a sack against that bad Charger <laughs> offensive line. <laughs> That would be funny to see, Mike. I'd be interested in seeing. Um, Okay, so, Mike, another thing you talk a lot about and you've written about in your books um, and in a lot of your columns for us is uh, culture and team culture. And so Anthony B. asks, Dear Michael, in one of your preseason pieces, you talked about teams with culture issues going into the season. Have any of those teams fixed their culture or have you found any uh, that have developed bad culture this season? Oh, well, I mean, there's so many bad cultures. Yeah. I don't think anybody's really fixed them. I think English yeah. culture has gotten worse because they, they realize they're not very good. Uh, I think Arizona's improved their culture a little bit because there's a lot more confidence in what they're doing. But like the Bengals, you know, I, I don't even think they even know how to spell culture. It's, they're so far out of it. I think the Bears are a team because of the inabilities and the lack of confidence at the quarterback position, it rattles their culture. It rattles their confidence in the organization. You mentioned the Bengals. There was a question, actually a couple of questions about the Bengals for you. Um, one says is asking about what they can do to be competitive. So it says, Dear Michael, this is from Evan D. Looking at the Bengals, what can they do to become competitive in the next few years? Is hiring a GM necessary or can they keep the status quo? Well, I think, look, I, I think the bank, I think Mike Brown is, is one of my favorite people in the NFL. He's old school, you know, and his, the problem is it's a family run operation. And unless he's willing to fire Katie, his daughter and Troy, his son-in-law, this is going to be hard because they're competing with some of the really, truly smart people in the NFL. 
and I'm not sure they're up to the task. I mean, the hiring of Zach Taylor is certainly questionable, considering the fact that at University of Cincinnati, running the offense, Zach Taylor was in the bottom, was over 100 of, of ranking in offensive football there. I mean, he has truly deer in the headlights look. They've made this mistake before in Cincinnati when they hired David Shula and Mike Brown corrected it. You're never going to get a GM in there. But I do think that you can win in Cincinnati if you can get somebody in the building, whether it's a head coach who's got experience, who understands what the Brown family is about and works from within like Marvin Lewis has done. And you're going to have to replace some of these guys that they take guys with questionable culture, questionable character issues. And you've got to be able to be willing to find guys that love football. This team basically, especially defensively, have they've got too many good players on defense to play as bad as they do. Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, William Jackson. I mean, they've got too many good players, but their culture is so bad they can't get them to play. And I think it's partly the part of the ownership. I think Mike Brown has to really seriously consider bringing somebody in, whether it's a coach or a personnel guy, to help them. So do you think there's a possibility that Taylor could be one and done there, or do you think that they'll give him another year? Uh, you know, I think Mike uh, probably still has some of the suits that he had when he went to college. I don't think Mike likes to change much. I doubt he'll change any of this right now. Yeah. Um, so Tyler, another Bengals fan, poor suffering Bengals fan, asked, um, well, first he said many nice things about your book. And then he said, uh, dear Mike, any thoughts on who you think the best quarterback coming into the draft is? I'm worried that the Bengals will pick the wrong one. Well, I, I think this is pretty easy. I think the Bengals will get this right. I think Joe Burrow is the best quarterback. I think yeah. Joe Burrow on the on, on a field of NFL stars last Saturday night, he was the best player. Yeah. And, you know, the only reason he did not play at Ohio State is, is frankly, Urban Meyer thought that some other players were better. You know, that five-star, three-star, four-star, that, that gets in the way of some coaches' evaluation. I think it did with right. Urban. And the kid was going to transfer because he never really got a chance to compete for the starting job at Ohio State. The job was given to Dwayne Haskins. He's a really right. good player. He can win with his arm. He can win with his feet. And he can win with his mind. He's a competitive kid. You know, he might not have been a three-star coming out of high school, but he's a five-star now. Right. Yeah, he's definitely – it's funny. Before the season, we weren't talking about him as much. It was kind of all about Herbert and Tua, but he's definitely top of the conversation right now. Um, okay, another team you've talked a lot about in columns and elsewhere is the Giants. Uh, Nicholas I asks, Dear Michael, what are the chances the Giants clean house this year by firing Gettleman and Shermer, and who are the best GM candidates you would identify to rebuild a team the right way? Well, I think this. I think the Giants have to stop living in the, go in, in the dark ages. I think there's the line... Um, they have to change their company. I mean, they've operated under the George Young system going back to 1979 and where the GM picks the players, the coach coaches the players. That worked then. It doesn't work anymore. So to answer that question accurately, I would hire a coach like the 49ers did, Kyle Shanahan, Josh McDaniels, and I would give him complete control of the organization and then ask him to hire somebody to work in the personnel or to be the GM. That's not going to agree with them. That's going to challenge him. That's going to make him a better coach and decision maker. But I would build the organization much like the way the Patriots are operated, where Belichick runs everything. People go to him with their ideas, suggestion. He makes the final decision. He's the general manager and the head coach. I think that's what they need. They have too much of an old school regime in New York. I think you've got to clean that out. I think you've got to take away some of the family members of the Giants and kind of get that done. 
And they really should hire an outside consulting firm to allow them to understand how, how deep they've gone and how far they've sunk within this team because they are truly, truly uh, uh, going nowhere over the last five years. I mean, they're 26th in the NFL entering the season in total wins. The, the model doesn't work anymore. And so if you take over the Giants, they should hire a really strong coach. They should hire a guy who can build a culture within the building. And they really need to adapt to the current model of the NFL. Okay. So you mentioned uh, Josh McDaniels, who I'm kind of interested in because I wonder, I feel like he's always looked at teams or always want him, but it's about whether he actually wants to leave. Do you think that in potentially next year for teams looking for a head coach that he would be interested in leaving? You know, I think at some point he has to. I think that I think it's, you know, the Giants with the 49ers did. And we wrote about this. I wrote about this and where they gave Kyle Shanahan that offset clause in his contract that basically told him, look, you're here for six years. We're not going to fire you. You know, you run it. You pick John Lynch. I mean, people make a big deal that John Lynch is running. John Lynch is running what Kyle Shanahan wants him to run. It's no different right. than Oakland, where John Gruden's running what he wants to run. Mayock is there. He has the title. It's great. They get paid a lot of money. That's great, too. But the reality of it is, is it all is flowing like it should through the head coach. And I think if Josh gets that opportunity, look, I know this. The, pa- the, the, the Patriots are a, a team that the Giants look after. The Patriots right. are a team that the Giants wish they were. Right. The Patriots are a team because of Belichick that they wish Belichick was their coach at one time. Remember, this franchise had Tom Landry, Vince Lombardi, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, probably all four are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Two already are there, right? Yeah. As assistant yeah. coaches and didn't hire any of them. So yeah. I think they really know what they want. Unfortunately, they got to have to figure out a way to get it. And that's for John Mara to decide. Yeah. And it is very interesting to kind of see the this downfall of the Giants. Or they've always, you know, kind of been this team that everyone, oh, the Giants, the old school Giants, they do everything the right way. And it's a well-run organization. It's just proving not to be the case right now. So we'll see. Um, speaking of kind of in terms of the draft and getting more talent that way, I'm interested to hear. Joseph B. asks, uh, Dear Michael, what are the key issues that are overlooked when scouting players that lead to them not living up to their draft spot? Well, I think, number one, evaluate the level of competition. So mm-hmm. when you watch Joe Burrow play or you watch Tua play, uh, you don't watch every game to evaluate. You watch every game, but you don't evaluate it every game. You only can evaluate great players when they play against other great players. It, it really doesn't do me any good to watch a Penn State player go against Northwestern because right. that's not real competition. So you have to be really careful. We've all heard these TV analysts go on and talk about how many games they watched on these college prospects. Well, that's really you're wasting your time because you should only watch specific games. The, the Georgia-Auburn game is a game you must watch. The Georgia-Vanderbilt right. game is a game you're not going to watch. Right. So, you know, those are the things that I think that are often overlooked when we talk about college players. I think past performance predicts future achievement. Every player who's played a lot of football is going to have something wrong with them. Right. He's going to have injuries. He's going to have mistakes. Right. That's part of playing football. Deshaun Watson played four years at Clemson. Yeah, he had sin interceptions. But Trubisky didn't play four years. He didn't have very many. Give the right. four year player a better, better credibility than the one year player. Right. 
And so that leads into kind of some more scouting draft pick questions from Rob F uh, about the Eagles specifically and their some of their recent picks. So it says, Dear Mike, love to the book. What do you see as being the biggest issue regarding the Eagles' lack of production from recent draft picks? Is it scouting alone, or do you feel it's also coaching slash scheme? And I think he's referring specifically to some of their offensive playmakers and receivers. Yeah, I think they really missed on receivers. They haven't drafted really well. I think it's a byproduct of picking low. I think it's yeah. a byproduct of picking yeah. so low. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're down there. That's that people give the Patriots a bunch of crap for having bad drafts. Well, you know, sometimes there's nobody left for you to pick. Right. You know, yeah. you know, it's hard. And so, you know, yeah, Whiteside has to come through. Matt Collins is a fourth round pick. You know, they need more juice on offense. They're not going to beat the Patriots, you know, running the football. They're not going to beat the Patriots averaging under seven yards per attempt down the field. I think a lot of it is because you're in a situation where it's hard to hit on guys uh, where you're picking. And, and you've got to really actually work, dig deeper, work harder, because you got to take a little bit more of a risk and a chance and maybe take a guy around too early than around too late. Because what happens is that guy you think you're going to get in the second doesn't make it. Now they get Miles Sanders in the second. That's a great pick, right? But yeah. you're going to have to really operate under that pretense if you can. Right. And that leads to another question from Jamie B about the Eagles and asking about Carson Wentz. And he says, Carson Wentz has gotten a free pass this year and the Eagles are five and four. Is he playing well enough for the team to make a deep playoff run or really make the playoffs at all in the crowded NFC? I think that's a great question. And I think the question is, is we give him Wentz a pass because he doesn't have receivers or is Wentz not making the receivers play better? And when you watch the Lions game, I think you could say the receivers let Wentz down in that game with seven drops. I think his yards per attempt is down. I would say wholeheartedly Carson Wentz has not been the same player he was before the knee injury. There's no doubt about that. His yards per attempt have come significantly down, and he's not accurate with the football like they need him to be. And and unfortunately, they're not as good on defense to carry them, especially when they can't rush the passer and create problems. I mean, their big their big thing is they can't cover in the back end, but they've got to be able to you know rush the passer. I mean, right now Wentz is at six point eight yards per attempt. That goes back almost that goes back to his rookie year numbers. And yeah. you know, touchdown percentage and interception percentage are all staying the same. He just can't make explosive plays down the field, and when he can't do that. It compounds itself. Then they play way more defense. Their time of possession on defense becomes higher than it needs to be. And their third down conversion, which was during the Super Bowl season, was remarkable on third, seven or more, has not been very good. Michael, who are you picking right now for to win the NFC East, Eagles or Cowboys? You know, I, I think the Cowboys are the better team in terms of talent. I think the Eagles are the better team in terms of getting things done. The Cowboys mm-hmm. are really a good team. They have no business losing to Minnesota at home. They have no business losing to the Jets on the road. I mean, you know, they they are not – they just – they fall short in too many areas because they refuse to acknowledge that their head coach makes too many mistakes during the game and he doesn't get the team ready to play. I mean, they're two and four the last six games, you know? Yeah. And so – and they've played 27 minutes of offense the last six games. And by doing that – what that means is their defense is on the field for 33 minutes. And we know for a fact when they play less than 30 minutes, they're almost unbeatable. But when that right. defense has to play 30 minutes or more, they become it becomes problematic. Right. And yeah, there was someone Daniel R. had mentioned, had asked about the Cowboys, and it said, 
is Garrett their main issue? It seems as though he is always the common denominator in their when they fall short. You know, it's really the culture there because every player knows he works for Jerry. Every player knows that Jerry's in control of everything. So therefore, you know, I'm not really interested in making the clapper happy. I'm interested in making Jerry happy. And that really excludes the coaches. I think it's a really hard situation to be in for any coach. Right. Uh, do you think if they miss the playoffs this year, he'll he'll be out, Garrett? No, I think Jer- that's like Jerry firing himself. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I know the Cowboys fans are getting very impatient, so we'll see what happens if they miss the playoffs. Um, Okay, a couple more here. We have time for a couple more. So let's talk about officiating briefly. It's been a huge issue this year. Again, obviously last year as well. Um, Justin B. asks, Dear Michael, do you think that the officials will overturn questionable P.I. calls during the playoffs, or will they continue to stick with the call made on the field? Well, I've been saying now I call Al River on Rip Van Winkle because he's been sleeping like crazy on Sundays, right? You know, <laughs> he, he's not woken up. He's been sleeping for it. It'll be 11 weeks now, you know? Yeah. And I think he will wake up come playoff time. I think the whole purpose of this was to was to uh, eliminate the, the, the life-changing calls. Well, you know, we're in week 11. These are life-changing calls too, but the league doesn't see it that way. They see it that way in the playoffs because that becomes a a constant verbiage and a constant uh, uh, discussion point amongst fans. And I think they want to eliminate that negativity towards them. So my sense of it is, yes, they will. I think any coaches that are throwing the challenge now are just wasting their time. I would throw it come playoff time. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully. That's kind of the whole point. I would hope that they improve it during the playoffs, at least. It would be a disaster if it's another situation like last year. Um, okay, a couple more. Uh, this one has you put in bet your GM hat on, Mike. Uh, Kurt O says, Dear Michael, if you were the GM of the Browns again, would you move Odell Beckham this upcoming offseason? This is assuming the situation on the field does not improve in the last seven weeks. What kind of return would be feasible? Do you think teams would be interested? Or which teams I, uh, would be interested? I, I, you know, having been here and walked down memory lane, I, I think the biggest issue is not Odell Beckham with the Browns. I think it's Jimmy Haslam and his inability to really give the, the, the direction and the leadership that the team needs and then allow someone to install the culture. I think you can get rid of Odell Beckham. John Dorsey's going to bring another player in with as many character flaws as Odell Beckham might have without the same talent level. Until you fix the, the distribution of talent that's coming in culturally, one player isn't going to. I tell people all the time, look, we killed bin Laden. We didn't stop terrorism. It's a group effort. It takes a, an organizational to take it down. And I think that the Browns are not set up organizationally to have a good culture. And right. so by getting rid of Beckham isn't going to solve your problem. Right. And what, what's your read on Freddie Kitchens? I mean, I think that he was their biggest concern coming in in terms of all the hype they got that he hadn't had any experience coaching. It hasn't been going very well. They're penalized all the time. What do you think of uh, if he, he's got a future there? Do you think they'll move on again after this year? I think that Freddie's in a tough spot because Dorsey controls the, you know, the roster. He controls the movement. It's dysfunction at the highest level. It's New York Giants-ish. And so – Freddie has to just call plays and try to manage it best he can. I mean, the other day they benched Callaway because he was finally late for a meeting. How much more are they going to tolerate from a guy 
who's really not a good player, even when he plays. Like, he's yeah. an average player, you know? And so I think it's really a challenge. I don't know if Freddie's qualified to be a head coach. I certainly don't mm-hmm. think that. Uh, I think, you know, that I think he's it's, the job's a little way too big for him, but he needs help and he's not getting any. Right. This leads into a question kind of about head coaching and coordinators that I'm kind of interested in. And Peter A. had asked, uh, dear Michael, at what point is a coach a head coach only and wouldn't take a coordinator job after getting fired? I'm thinking about the contrast between between Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy. It seems that Mike McCarthy will only take a head coaching job, whereas Quinn I'm not so sure about. Yeah, great question. Great point. Yeah, I think Quinn will definitely be a coordinator next year for somebody. He could go back to Seattle. Uh, I think Mike sees himself as a Super Bowl winning coach like Brian Billick and mm-hmm. – who don't feel like since you've won a Super Bowl, you should have to go become somebody else's offensive coordinator. Um, And until you get told you can't be a head coach by a couple of the markets, you know, cycles this year, you know, last year he didn't want to coach this year. He's got two, maybe give it two cycles. Then it's either you don't want to coach anymore. Then I think, and that's what Brian Billick decided. So, you know, I, I think it's when you win that Super Bowl, you become a little different than everybody else. Right. Do you think Dan Quinn is, is going to, I guess, do you think Dan Quinn will be fired this year and then will be a, uh, have a coordinator role the following season? Yeah. I think Dan Quinn likes coaching. I think he's mm-hmm. a coordinator this year. I think he probably would feel like, look, it's the greatest job of all. I know Belichick would tell you the best job in football is to be a coordinator, you know, because you get to run, the, you get to do your team, you don't have all the headaches as a head coach and things move on. Yeah. So. I definitely see him. I mean, Belichick did the same thing. Belichick, we got fired in Cleveland. He went and was a coordinator for the Jet, for the Patriots. Then he went to the Jets. That's what he does. You coach. Right. I think Mike, because he won a Super Bowl, sees himself in a different category. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Michael, we've got one more question for you. And this one is a fun one. It's from Dean T. And he asks, dear Michael, final question. If Tony Soprano were a head coach in the NFL, which team would be the best fit for him? Oh, there's only one team you can coach for, and that's the New York Football Giants. I mean, he would clean up. <laughs> what about the, the Jets? No, he, you know, I mean, he's out there. He's going to get the North Star Ledger. It's going to be the Giants. <laughs> I see Tony as a Giant fan growing up in Newark, the streets of Newark. I, I, I don't, you know, Jet fans came mostly from the island. Tony's over in North Jersey. I see him being a Yankee Giant, not a Jet Met. So I would say he definitely would be the head coach of the Giants. And it would be a tremendous hire by them, by the way, because he would clean <laughs> it out. He would, he would yeah. get some of those what they call buffers out of the way, and he would just really scale down. It would be him and Sylvia running the team. <laughs> That's the answer to cleaning up the Giants. Hire Tony Soprano. That'll there solve all their problems. <laughs> all right. We solved it. All right, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. We are so happy to have you on. Um, everyone, you guys can check out Michael's own podcast, the GM Shuffle Podcast. You can read his book, Gridiron Genius. You can read his columns for us. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. Do do all of that stuff. Check out his work. Um, Michael, thank you again so much for coming on. Um, I'm Amy Perlopiana, and we will be back with the mailroom next week. <laughs>